So what could possibly go right is having more spaciousness, more quiet, more connection that allows us to be deeply rooted in this one sustainable life that supports us all. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, and social artists, people who take the pulse of these times and create. In this time when so much seems to be coming apart, for sure much is coming together that we can't see. Our guests help us to see more clearly and act more courageously in this potent time of change. Today's guest came to me through the work of Post Carbon and is one of the many blessings of hosting this podcast. I interviewed her twice now as when she speaks and what she speaks comes from both her indigenous roots and her accomplishments as a lawyer, educator, and leader. She is wise and kick-ass both at once. So Sherry Mitchell is an indigenous attorney, activist, and author from the Penobscot Nation. She is a graduate of the University of Arizona Rogers College of Law, specializing in indigenous people's law and policy. She is an alumna of the American Indian Ambassador Program and the Udall Native American Congressional Internship Program. Sherry is the author of the award-winning book, Sacred Instructions, Indigenous Wisdom for Living Spirit-Based Change. She is also a contributor to 11 anthologies, including the bestseller, All We Can Save, Truth, Courage, and Solutions for the Climate Crisis, and Resetting Our Future, Empowering Climate Action in the United States. Sherry is the founding director of the Land Peace Foundation, an organization dedicated to the preservation of indigenous rights and the protection of the indigenous ways of life. She serves as a trustee for the American Indian Institute, as an advisory council member for Nia Taro's Indigenous Land Guardianship Program, and as a board member for Post Carbon Institute. She speaks and teaches around the world on issues of indigenous rights, climate change, and transformational socio-spiritual change. And now, here's Sherry. Uh, welcome, Sherry Mitchell, to What Could Possibly Go Right. You know, you were one of my first guests uh, mm. about two and a half years ago when I started this podcast. And at the time, I had some hope that disrupting business as usual as the pandemic did might open a way for a more humane and life-serving direction for our world. Mm. So what could possibly go right at that time was tinged with some expectancy, Mm -hmm. But this unraveling of the old seems to be more sustained, more widespread and dangerous than I could have imagined, you know, with unexpected and frightening plot twists and cliffhangers. And the truth is, this is more likely the privileged white culture encountering what indigenous societies have endured for centuries. We unraveled your way of life and now our ways are unraveling. Mm -hmm. So these familiar ways of control and predictability, wow. order and domination of the earth are unraveling for ever more of us. But from your perspective, this is a centuries old and familiar story. So I feel a calm when I listen to your talks and read what you write. 
Uh, in you, I sense an older story, an enduring story being spoken again in these times. So with that, ramp up, take it where you will, sharing my friend with all that seems to be coming apart. What could possibly go right? Yeah, I think that um, the coming apart is part of the writing, um, part of the balancing. Uh, we have been living in ways that have been wholly unsustainable for far too long, according to these Western ideals that are really in many ways devoid of substance. And um, as you said, you know, the um, I just did a workshop at Omega this past weekend, and there was a an older white man in the audience who asked me a question that really connected to this particular issue about, you know, uh, what do we do? Uh, you know, we just, we don't know what to do in this, in the midst of this moment. Uh, and there's this real seeking toward indigenous peoples and indigenous knowledge um, because there's a recognition, I think, in the white population who's seeking that, we've already lived through apocalypse, right? One of my, um, one of my friends at the, at the conference, um, I had some amazing women there, including Rowan White, uh, who is a seed saver um, from the Mohawk Nation and Shea Bastida, a young woman who is of Mexican descent who started the Fridays for Future movement in the United States amongst young people. Um, and, you know, we were having this conversation with this man in the audience about, you know, native people have, have already gone through the destruction of their way of life. And now for the first time in this iteration of life, which is a whole other conversation, right? But in this iteration of life, this is the first time that um, the population of people who is experiencing the unraveling within the commons, within the mainstream, within suburbia, uh, you know, um, are experiencing a dismantling of their ways of being, which is calling into question their ways of knowing. And so I think it's, it's a really important question for this time to start thinking about who are we beyond the stories that we tell? We have all of these stories that we tell, some of them carried forward um, from the past into the future. Um, my partner and I just did a conversation with Ro on um, the title of the conversation was uh, going to ground. Uh, and it was about coming home to ourselves and one another uh, and um, about how deepening our relationship with the earth led to uh, a softening within us that created this opening that allowed us to see each other for the first time, even after knowing each other for almost a decade. Uh, and so um, in that, contained within that was this acknowledgement that there are these stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, uh, stories that we tell ourselves about our place in the world, narratives that we've carried with us from our really problematic, violent past. Um, you know, the, the collective past that we share as human beings is wrought with violence and with competition and with cutthroat politics, right? Um, but that's a relatively new story, that story of capitalism, the story of this, you know, um, episode of, of patriarchy that is 
absent of any type of matriarchal knowledge. Um, that that story is is roughly five thousand years old, uh, and we've been around for a lot longer than that, right? So, what are the stories that we had that allowed our humanoid species to exist into this day and age, to perpetuate life to this point? Those are stories about cooperation and community and collaboration, uh, collective um, sharing and and reciprocity and uh, caring for one another. And those are kinds of the things that we've forgotten along the way. And those are the teachings of the matriarchs. And so, you know, that's part of the problem is that we're living in this state of imbalance right now that um, is causing destruction on the large scale to species and planet, um, but also finally beginning to um, cannibalize itself in a lot of ways. Uh, and in that cannibalization of itself, we're starting to see the unraveling of the systems and structures that have been created under um, the status quo of the times that we're living in. Mm. Yeah, there's there's so much that's interesting to me in what you said. Um, I want to get around to the matriarchal piece, but I also want to... Um, what you just said about it's this it's this society is cannibalizing itself. And I, I think um, part of that, the evidence we see, and I'm not here to rag on what's going wrong at all, but, you know, the evidence, the data points that I've been seeing recently, one is that basically there was a hearing with Katie Porter, which in which she had a chief economist admit, she had one of her major charts, that Basically, the cause of inflation is corporate greed. It is that the corporations are taking too much profit out of the system. So that's a, that's cannibalizing us, that the corporatocracy is cannibalizing us. Another piece of evidence is forgiveness of student loans. Oh. You know, when, when, when a society does not invest in their children as the future, mm. you know, then you know that it's cannibalizing itself. Absolutely. So it's it, in a way these are the things. Um, these this is the heartbreaking evidence that we're seeing in Western white society. Right. We're seeing it now. We're cannibalizing mm-hmm. the working class. We're cannibalizing our young people. Yes. Um, and it's you know. I mean, you could run around with a little like watering can trying to put out all the fires that that are now burning because it's 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 all part of, you know, you know, it's like a root fire. It's like one time I built a fire and it didn't burn. I didn't create a right fire pit. So later on, this the roots were burning and smoke was coming up at different places. And so it's always been an image for me that there's a root fire going on. And the smoke is arising in all these different places. And, and so, I mean, but our conversation is what could possibly go right, not as what should go right or what ought to happen, but where are we seeing the emergence, you know, another natural, the green shoots, let's say, you know, after the fire is out, you know, you start to see new life where, and I, I, I hear in what you're saying that the, that the matriarchy 
there's clues in the matriarchy and there's clues in the deep history of, of the human presence on this planet. So what are the clues that you're seeing that's, that these other patterns that sustained us for millennia are emerging? Well, I, I think that what I'm seeing is the young people reaching for those stories. So we're seeing this time of renaissance within indigenous populations around um, the planet where there's uh, revitalization of languages, there's reconnection to ceremonial ways of being, um, uh, restoration of traditional ways of living. Uh, all of those things to me are evidence of the reemergence of those ancestral stories that sustained life. Um, into the future, but we also are seeing um, Sharon Blackie, I mean, is just a phenomenal example of this. Sharon Blackie, who wrote um, If Women Rose Rooted, and she has a new book out called Hagitude. Um, uh, she is an, a woman of Celtic descent who, after having been influenced by her experience with Indigenous peoples in North America, she worked for a big tobacco company, um, gave it all up and went back and started searching her own history for her own stories of being rooted, of being connected uh, deeply to the earth. Right. Um, and it's those stories of rootedness that really um, opened something up within us that changes who we are. fundamentally. And so there's a lot of studies out there that tell us that if you, um, I know that, um, in his book, Sand Talk, Tyson Yankaporta talks about this, about when he first got a cell phone, it started actually changing the structure of his brain. He had to kind of get away from it. Um, and uh, all of this technology actually changes us. And the more that we can get away from the technology and reconnect our bodies to the earth, um, the more realigned we are with those old stories. And the more they emerge, the more the teachings rise up out of the earth, just like your smoke in different areas, right? Rivera's son talks about the dandelion revolution of the dandelions popping up everywhere. You just can't stop it. It's the same when we have this establishment or reestablishment, what my friend Rowan White calls rehydration uh, of our roots. Um, but when we have this rehydration of this ancient knowledge, uh, sprouts begin to emerge and that, that information is sprouting up and they're starting to see that happen more and more. Um, as, as young people and people of other origins, uh, people who have different origin stories than I do at Skijinuiapid, uh, you know, as an Indigenous woman, um, there are other people who have their own origin stories from their own places uh, where their ancestors are deep in the earth, right? Um, and when there's a reconnection to those stories, the wisdom that rises up about the ways that we sustain our lives, the ways that we balance our lives with the rest of this living creation um, start to emerge. And so that's the thing that could possibly go right in my mind is that more and more people begin reaching for those stories beyond the story of capitalism, beyond the story of colonization, mm. beyond the imbalance of this patriarchal representation that we've been living within to find the stories that are rooted in the earth of a time when their people lived in connection with life. Bring those stories forward, look at them in comparison to the story that's created this uh, 
elusive reality that we've been living in uh, and realign them with the stories that we need to take us into the future. Uh, and how do, we, how do we do that? We do that by learning to be quiet. Uh, we, we do that by walking away from all of the technology. We do that by walking away from our fear of missing out or our fear of um, being irrelevant. Uh, you know, we, we, we do that by reconnecting with that flow of information and truth that has, has been flowing right beneath our feet since the beginning of time, right? Since the beginning of life, certainly on this planet, uh, that there's a continuum there that's steady. And we're up here making all of this noise and that continuum continues to flow mm -hmm. to alignment with that flow uh, mm -hmm. and begin to stop all of this busyness up here. Because what it is, is our head separated from our bodies. Uh, it takes us away from being connected to the parts of us that are actually rooted to the earth. And so my own experience moving through this process has had incredible changes um, and created incredible changes in my life. It has had a profound impact on how I see myself in relation to the work that I do, um, where I, I had to go through this period of time where I got really sick and I had just a small amount of energy uh, and I had to really decide how do I want to use this energy in support of the work that I'm doing. And I noticed that when I engaged in activism work, work that was about deconstructing or tearing something down or, you know, um, conquering some reigning power, because I believe that the people that I knew uh, had better ideas than them, that all I was doing was perpetuating cycles of conquest. Uh, and when I did that, when I engaged in that type of work, it sapped my energy for days because I was aligned with the destruction and with, uh, you know, an energy of death, really. When I aligned myself with those energies that were creating something new, that were uh, about uh, imagining and building the possibility of a new reality, of giving birth to something, uh, that I was aligned with life and my energy would be up after that activity. And so that really showed me uh, who I wanted to be personally in the world. Do I want to be a conquest activist? Or do I want to be someone who is aligned with the flow of life and birthing something new? Um, and that doesn't mean that we forget about all the horrific things that are going on right now. I wrote about that in my book, um, you know, about this 80-10-10 rule where we have to pay attention to what's coming at us, use 10% of our energy to look around, see what's coming at us. We have to use another 10% of our energy being in this protective stance to stop the flow of harm. But then behind that protective wall, we have to be actively building with the other 80% of our energy, the life that we want to be living, uh, the world that we want to be able to walk into, right? We have to have the vision for that and hold it collectively and breathe life into it uh, so that we can walk into that as flesh and blood down the road. Mm -hmm. if we don't do that. We're not going to have anywhere to go once we dismantle it. We'll just be living in collapse. Mm-hmm. And so unless we want to, you know, spend another epoch of our lives living in collapse, we have to be actively building something that uh, we're going to move into in this next phase. It's, um, I have two thoughts when I was listening to you. Um, thank you for all of that. Um, one is 
that in terms of like this podcast and what people are seeking is they listen to it. You know, we have faithful listeners now, you know, people who come to this drink at the well. And, um, and part of it is that question, what can I do? You know, like, and the demand of responding to the unraveling, the, the demand that arrives every day to like do something about, and I have to meditate after I read the news, you know, it's like, yeah. cause my, my, the, my nervous system is like, okay, we're going to do something about this. What are we going to do about this? You know, mm-hmm. you know? and, um, and so it's, in a way, it's amplifying the story. It's, it's, if you hear a new word, that's part of the story. Like I remember, I think you were one of the first people I heard use the word decolonization in terms of a mental construct. And so now I, then my mind was alerted to that word. And then I started to hear it and I started to make sense of it. So to realize that for each of us our speaking of the new language of what is coming together not as an imposition, not like I'm going to tell you a story so that you get my story and you start living my story, but just that that process of trying on the the wise <laughs> the wise, the capes of wisdom that come and trying on the words and seeing what they could mean and. And so many of the new words are coming from the margins. It's coming from indigenous people. It's coming from LGBTQIA plus people. You know, people are finding a new language for what it means to be a human on this planet beyond the suffering that's been imposed by the dominator systems. And saying that, I'm even saying that word with no hostility. It's just like what we're all caught in. So that's part of what what could possibly go right through us is is that, you know, allowing ourselves to incorporate into ourselves, not just hear cool things, but think about them, incorporate them in, you know, like, you know, the next time you take a walk with a friend, you go like, I heard this, what's this about? We're all collectively, you know, actually languaging a story together. It's not something somebody figured out and they're the cool person and we're all going to follow. It's that we're languaging what's coming together. Um, and um, if I had another idea about it, I'm go- it's gone because I just got taken with that. But it's, I feel, and I feel emergence through your words. Oh, that's the other thing. And I'm sorry to like <laughs> do two points at once, but um I have so many young friends, you know, in my circles around this financial independence movement. And there's a lot of young people who are buried in tech. That's where they can make their money, whether it's they, they're doing online entrepreneurship or they're doing programming or whatever they're doing, you know, or like, you know, whatever those young people are doing. Um, and they live in cities and they they are not there. There's nothing about their lives that's embodied. And so how do people in that situation feel rooted? How do they feel connected with stories that are older in time than them that, you know, like, so those are two streams that I'm, I'm picking up from what you said. Well, I think, you know, this, this question of, of what happens for people in urban centers is something that, that I get a lot. So let's get to that next. Um, First, I just want to talk about, you know, like 
we're taking in all of this stuff, right? You're talking about we're taking in all of this, all of this information. We're hearing all of these words, um, and we're not integrating them. And uh, if we think about taking something in to nourish us, we think about that in regard to rootedness. What do the roots do? You know, those those tap roots have to go really, really deep in order to be connected, right? To um, to carry all of the nutrients uh, up to the tree, right? To the for the water to get all the way down to extend to those tap roots. I mean, there's this 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 system of flow, but the rootedness and the depth of rootedness determines how 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 broad and how tall we can grow. Um, and so if we're taking all of this stuff and we're, we're taking it in, we're taking it in, but it's not sinking in, it's not nourishing us uh, in the long term. It's like fast food, right? Oh, it fills us up in the moment and then we go back to despair. It's because we, we haven't gone within ourselves deep enough to allow a space for that sinking in to occur, right? So we need to have that, that space. My friend, Catherine Wilkinson, Dr. Catherine Wilkinson talks about this the last time she was here visiting and about how, um, you know, if we only, if we only engage in a shallow experience and exploration of ourselves, then our actions will remain shallow uh, and, and limited to a small space on the surface. There will be no depth um, of activity that we can engage in because we haven't even explored the depths within ourselves to know what we're capable of holding. And so I think that's where we need to be is we need to be really exploring the depths within ourselves to see what are we capable of taking in, dealing with the, the transmutation of the obstacles and differences that it possesses or presents to us, and then taking the nourishing parts of it, integrating it into our being, allowing it to feed something within us that gives us the space to grow both, you know, in height and in breadth and grounded by the depth of our roots and our rootedness. And so it's kind of a fundamental part of the movement that is being overlooked. Mm -hmm. uh, if we continue on as we are taking in all of this information, all of this information, all of this information, we're going to die of starvation because nothing's going to be nourishing us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wanted to to talk about that piece. Um, and for people, people who live in urban centers, I mean, my suggestion for them is to get out of the city. Um, there have been studies that have been done on the energy transfer from the earth to the bottoms of our feet, and it doesn't go through asphalt. It'll go through some forms of untreated concrete, but it won't go through asphalt. So you're not even getting an energy transfer with the earth if all you're doing is walking on asphalt all the time. You have to get your feet on the ground. You have to get, you know, put away your cell phones. Get away from all of the distortions of all of the technology that's zipping through your body every single day and cleanse yourself. Uh, allow your brain to reorganize itself and connect to the source of life. Mm. Um, I was, where were we? We were walking through Boston the other day. I did a talk in Boston and, um, and we were walking through Boston to get back to our car uh, when we were leaving the city the next day. And 
we heard this young man say, if my brain was a cell phone, and I was thinking your brain is a cell phone, uh, because it's been so influenced by the technology that surrounds you and is not being grounded um, by the essence, that, that flow that I'm talking about, that essence of life that flows beneath all of this, mm-hmm. that we're separating ourselves by living above the asphalt. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, tear up the asphalt, plant some, plant some gardens. Yeah. Um, idea of creating those community gardens and old parking lots, create spaces uh, where people can actually go and have a connection, a meaningful connection to the earth. Um, You know, putting rooftop decks, uh, rooftop gardens uh, out is not sufficient. Putting planter pots on your deck is not sufficient. You need to be in a place where you can have an energetic transfer um, from the earth up through the soles of your Mm. So take the time, make the time to get out of the city. You know, the thing is that what I'm seeing in in the young people I know who are a bit, you know, tacky, is that one of the odd results of the pandemic is that they can work from anywhere. They just, you know, and they won't take jo- the 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 great uh, what do they call it the the great quit or the re- great resignation, the big quit. You know, I've been fascinated with that. And I think in part, it's that it's that they don't ever want to go back into an office. They don't want to ever go back into a city, an office, a cubicle, you know, sharing a bedroom with six other people, with, you know, in a in a in an apartment in New York City. You know, they just so they're the the rest of the country is getting repopulated. Unfortunately, it's driving up real estate prices for, you know, people who like living there. But Nonetheless, there's a great shuffling. And I think part of the shuffling is that if people can work remotely, if they can stay connected with the leading edge of what's happening in this world and yet live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, you know, that could make a difference. It's just, Sherry, I think it's just that all bets are off in terms of being able to predict any outcomes. We just have to stay with the flow of this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that you're talking all about roots, you know, that there are times in history when it's all about the branches and all about the, you know, the things that are out there and visible and we're creating. But I think this is a time of returning down into the deep depths of the earth, you know. I want to try to find uh, this thing that I, yeah, that I wrote, um, about a week ago, and let me just read this. And it it doesn't have to do with what we're talking about, but it absolutely does. Okay. Um, and it's called Rooted. Mm-hmm. It's finding the courage to become rooted in a driftless world, live on purpose and with purpose on a landscape that has claimed you as its own taking the time to learn its movement and rhythm, to hear its restless bluster and contented sigh is a deep practice of love. Good love has deep roots. They settle in and grow toward one another, reaching and merging like hyphae, creating an unspoken language that communicates things that can only be felt through the long intertwining of shoots and tendrils. As the blossoms grow and fall, the roots remain steadfast, nourishing, the constant cycling of life above the ground. 
Living in a long love gives you the roots needed to reach the richest nutrients within the soil. If we want to reach that nourishing soil, we have to find the courage to remain. What does that mean for us now? It means having the courage to remain on one path in a long love, to remain connected to our own spirit and to all life, to feel the pain, the sorrow, the joy, the loneliness, and the wonder, to experience the deep connection that will guide us to the answers we need and to a reflection of a shared truth that exists in balanced harmony. And so this is really what we're talking about. We're talking about this experience of being rooted that brings to the forefront all of the things that we've shoved to the back in our hurried pace. Uh, The things that um, have been taken for granted, the things that have been uh, recognized as important, but not prioritized. Uh, We have all of this great poetry about being in a long love, right? We have all of this poetry about being connected to nature. We have so many incredible writers who talk about this. Uh, And we don't ever stop to think that in this fast-paced world of technology and isolation that comes from working by remote, there's this sense of isolation and disconnect that happens as a result of not being connected to other human beings. That's also a part of that equation, right? Um, And so, you know, there's benefits to working by remote, but it takes us, it takes us again away from one another in ways that creates instability within our mental well-being and our emotional health. Um, And so when we start to put together all of these factors, we realize that the courage that it takes to really stay in place and become deeply rooted with all of the life that surrounds you is really an act of deep love. And that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. We have to change the way that we're living. And earlier, before we were recording, I was telling you a quote from, from Tim to Christopher, where he said that when he, um, stopped focusing on fighting the corporations and the systems that infuriated him and shifted his focus to building relationship with the earth that he loved. Something fundamental changed in him and he recognized that the way that he had been engaging with the world was not the way that he was going to continue engaging with the world. Mm-hmm. It to, to shift and he's now he's now an organic farmer. Yeah. So when we think about the way that that relationship with the earth transforms us um, to beings who are actually living the life that we hope to arrive in one day, Mm. what does it mean for us to be citizens of the world that we hope to live in today? So we're very adept at describing the water that we're drowning in. Mm -hmm. Can we come to a place where we're able to envision and step into um, being the people, the citizens who live in the world that we're hoping to create? Uh, And Angela Mm -hmm. has this great quote that I don't know if I can get my hands on um, in this moment where um, she talks about this transformation in her own activism that went from 
focusing out there on what needed to be changed to focusing on how could she become the citizen of the world she wanted to live in. Mm-hmm. That that was the place where the real transformation begins. Mm-hmm. Because our species is so caught up in the description in agonizingly accurate detail, our slow death, that we leave ourselves very little time to visualize the beautiful life that we hope to have. Mm-hmm. And so what could possibly go right is having more spaciousness, more quiet, more connection that allows us to be deeply rooted in this one sustainable life that supports us all, what we call Nikoskikdemik, Mother Earth, uh, and then to sit in that space of rootedness and visualize the world that we most want to inhabit and then become a citizen who is able to live there in a peaceful, just, and equitable way. Mm-hmm. If you figure out what that looks like, then maybe we'll really know something that we can start mm-hmm. toward, right? Maybe we'll really have an understanding of what we need on the deepest levels. Because right now, we're reacting to the madness, the dance of the cannibal giant up here. And we're missing all of this thriving life beneath our feet. Mm-hmm. For me, that's that's where my hope lies. My hope lies in the earth uh, who has shown us what sustainability looks like, what harmonizing with various forms of life and incredible diversity looks like, what it means to move through moments of conflict and to readjust and to pivot and to slowly settle back into a place of harmonized being in relationship with one another. Uh, and that that type of example, the beauty within that example is what we all need to be looking toward if we want to find our way home. Thank you. That's a perfect place to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm going to let those words sink into me. I'm going to digest them and integrate them and let them nourish me and um, let them pass through the deeper waters that have no words inside me and emerge again as fresh water, as living water. Okay, my friend, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to be in conversation. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>